Anyway, I'd like to just share what's on my mind right now. I was going to save this till the end of the evening, but um, one of our dear uh, Sangha members of many, 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 many years, uh, a wonderful, beautiful, elegant man named uh, Javier Torres uh, passed away in a uh, in an automobile accident a few weeks ago and just found out about it and the first chance I had to speak, speak about it here at, at uh, Mission Dharma. Uh, Javier was a, um, was, I don't usually create a hierarchy of yogis who come through Mission Dharma, but Javier was someone who came to Mission, Mission Dharma and um, he was he obviously became enlightened over the time that he was here. Not necessarily from what was going on here, but, I, but because of who he was and what he did with his, with his uh, suffering, what he did with his anxiety, with his fear, with his, uh, with his childhood experiences, it, he turned it into the manure of Bodhi, of awakening. And in that process of paying very close attention to the flow of his experience, he he popped out of it to the point where he could experience the whole range of, of, his, uh, human, of his humanity. And there was an element of his nature, just as there is with everyone's, but he really got it. There was an element of his nature that was untouched by all of it. And he was free. And, but still completely humble, ordinary, human, kind, full of goodness, intelligent, harmless. Just that feeling that, that he offered to everyone the gift of what we sometimes call the gift of fearlessness, that you don't have to be afraid of him. And so I feel a tremendous loss, and his lovely wife, Meshtild, is here tonight, and his niece, who flew in from Mexico City, they're sitting tonight because uh, wanted to be in the field that he spent many, many, many Tuesday evenings. He, he had a wide uh, range of uh, spiritual practices, but this was one of his, uh, his spiritual homes and practice homes. And when he spoke, he would always, uh, he would wake people up just by his very innocent description of how he was awakening to the freedom that was available to him regardless of what was happening in his mind. And so I just want to, um, I just want to appreciate him and, and actually remind all of us that this configuration, the way we are experiencing this evening together, would not be, have been the same had it not been for his input in this community. You wouldn't know that if you didn't know him. But those of you who, through the years, may have met Javier here uh, know that he, he made a real imprint on our community. And, so I'll miss him tremendously, even though he hadn't been coming so regularly recently. But uh, the, the news of his passing really just you know, pierced my heart. And, um, and for everyone that was near and dear to him, and just for the world, what a beautiful, beautiful character. And so let's just give a, a shout out to Javier and his uh, lovely family who are here tonight and put uh, all of them in your prayers and, and 
and just use his passing as a reminder that it's possible to awaken as well. He, to me, he was such an example of awakening. So, thanks for giving me that space to do that. I guess after speaking about Javier, I, I think of the, the process, at least how it appeared to me, how he would report when he would speak in Tuesday nights. It was clear that for him, as it is for all of us, that we, every moment, especially if we're aware, we have a choice point we have a choice point to either cling to the past, to the, our traumas and our memories, because we've all been traumatized in one form or we've traumatized ourselves uh, in the way that we've reacted and approached different things that have happened to us, but every one of us carries the effects of, of past, uh, past suffering. I was even thinking today, and I was telling somebody a story about, um, about a time, I don't know if I've ever shared this on Tuesday night, it's a bit of a self-disclosure about my, um, the, um, my relationship history, my sordid relationship history, <laughs> but uh, I was, it was 1978, and I was madly in love with a, with a woman, uh, and dating her very seriously and living in Tucson, Arizona. And yet I had this, you know, my, I needed to express my, my essence and the, that growing edge. All of us have to live, we have to listen to that, that spirit that runs through us that needs to grow and expand. And so one of the ways that expressed itself for me was to move to Santa Cruz, California where Stephen Levine was leading the local meditation group. Many of you have read or sat with Stephen over the years. He was my first Vipassana teacher, insight meditation teacher. But in addition, I also moved there to actualize my desire to be of benefit by studying holistic health education, all kinds of forms of body work, and Santa Cruz was a real laboratory for that kind of education. So my uh, sweetheart in Tucson told me to, I'm telling you a lot more than I needed to, but anyway, she told me to uh, look up this fellow when I got to Santa Cruz who might be able to give me some information about where to, to find a place to live. So I innocently walked into his office and struck up a conversation. While I was standing there, uh, she called him on the phone to let him know when she was arriving and when to pick her up at the airport. They were having a mad affair. <laughs> so needless to say, I was put into a, the shock of, many people have had the shock of betrayal and loss and confusion and, and my mind became very small and I felt very diminished as one does when they are, feel harmed or when something really hits up against the, our identity of thinking that we, you know, someone that we think is the secret to our happiness, when we realize the, the fragility or the emptiness of that, we become very small. And so my mind kept going over and over it because the, from the little ego perspective, you, you want to put it all together and want to figure out who to blame and, you know, who to, you know, how to, how to put it all together. And the more that I would think about it, 
the more I would go into the thoughts and the reactions, the, the, the more I would just fall into a vortex of pain. Now, you may think that's a very human and natural thing to do. And in, in that moment, I didn't realize I had a choice. I didn't realize that there was a way I could navigate that razor's edge when that impulse to just keep feeding the, the drama that was going on, the reverberations of this. But there was a choice point, and somehow intuitively, I took myself to the beach. I went to the beach, and every now and then, as I was going into my little vortex, I would look up and see the, hear the, the, uh, the waves, the ocean, and it would wake me up to the vividness of reality. And then I would go back into the little vortex of misery, and then I'd wake up. And I realized when I woke up, and when I looked around, when I registered the, the immediacy of my experience, in those moments of being aware, being present, absolutely fine. Absolutely connected to, you could say, Buddha nature, then able to relate to my experience instead of living out of it, reacting. I was awake to a, a kind of that what I always feel is a kind of inexhaustible energy that one feels when you're, when you're plugged into the, the living present. And, I, and for a while I went in and out and in and out. And it was that little vignette that began to show me, and as so many have through the years, because many, we, all, we have many micro little traumas in our lives, micro experiences that where we fall into that vortex, but the more you see that, the more you see there is a choice point. A choice point of how to navigate the fact that your mind is really disturbed. And begin to relate to the disturbed mind instead of relating from the disturbed mind. Relating to that little, tender, fragile, impossible to secure ego that had crumbled. Relate to that rather than from that from that place that made it seem like there was no way that I could get it together it, if, it wasn't to, if it wasn't to either make myself right or that person wrong or hurt somebody or get angry at somebody. All of that, or figure it out. The little ego, that little view of myself always thinks that I have to figure it out. But as soon as I'd wake up and relate to that, there was nothing that need to be, needed to be figured out. Things were just the way they were. And the more I practiced over the years, just being, trusting awareness, trusting the living present, orienting myself toward the simplicity of what's happening, the, whatever needed to work out, worked out. And there, it developed a, a kind of trust, a kind of surrender, a kind of letting myself be led by the Dharma rather than thinking I have to figure everything out and work it all out in my mind. It doesn't work to work it all out in your mind. To figure it out. So we have this choice point where we can either identify with our small little humanness or, if anything, identify with the Dharma, just being awake. When I was thinking about this earlier today, I pulled up that Cherokee Nation little dialogue that I think I may have shared this a few weeks ago. 
where a grandfather from the Cherokee Nation was talking to his grandson and said, a, a fight is going on inside me. He said to the boy, it's a terrible fight and it's between two wolves. One wolf is evil and ugly, is anger, envy, war, greed, self-pity, sorrow, regret, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, selfishness, arrogance, and I'll add fear, scarcity, self-judgment, worry, constantly competing with ideals. The, the one that's up in the middle of the night trying to figure things out, waking up in, in a startle. The other, is, the other wolf is beautiful and good, present. He's friendly, joyful, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, justice, fairness, empathy, generosity, true compassion. This is our awakened nature. When we're seeing the big picture, the wider view, our divinity. You know, we often think of ourselves, I'm just a little, it's just me being human. But we're actually, the biggest part of our humanity is, is incredible, it's grand. Anyway, editorializing. He's friendly, joyful, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, justice, fairness, empathy, generosity, true compassion, gratitude, and deep vision. The same fight is going on inside you and inside every other human as well. The grandson son paused in deep reflection because of what the grandfather had just said. Then he finally cried out, Oi, grandfather, which wolf will win? And the elder Cherokee replied, the one that you feed. So which one are you feeding? Uh, of course, you're coming on Tuesday night, so you're feeding the, the wakefulness. But are you, when you awake in the night, ruminating about your, about your future or replaying that trauma of the past, are you, what are you choosing at that moment? Are you choosing to kind of dwell in that? It's so compelling to get pulled into one of those little vortexes. It's very seductive. But, or, or are you relating to that with kindness and love and then orienting yourself to the, to the room that you're in, looking around, seeing your, the things that, that, um, that resource you into a feeling of, of presence. What do you feed day in and day out? That's what you become. Whatever you frequently dwell upon becomes the inclination of the mind, the words of the Buddha. And so what, so what are you practicing? See, we think that when we're in a state of misery that we, that we are actually, that we don't have a choice. But it's, it is possible to, for that to be met with, with light, with daylight. And that's simply being aware with kindness. I think that's pretty much all I wanted to say about that. So if we, if you are honest, if we are honest with ourselves about what we frequently dwell upon 
and you truly do want to give to that, that part of you that is, that is deep vision and joy and peace and presence, then it, it requires practice. It requires connecting and sustaining your attention to, to real-time. It requires a, a, uh, almost like a, a prayer, a reminder, a, a resolution, a dedication of your thoughts in your words and your actions to awakening to the awakening of compassion, to the awakening of kindness, to the awakening of wisdom and awareness. You know, in some traditions, you know, probably in the Episcopal tradition, it's prayer. And sometimes that kind of prayer is useful to remind us that we are literally part of something bigger than ourselves. So sometimes it's even useful to say, you know, just let me, let me be surrendered to, to the light of awareness or to the, to the Dharma, to, to surrender to the Buddha in me. And Buddha simply means awake, the awakened in me. It doesn't mean surrender to the Buddhist in me. The Buddhist is all about our ego. The Buddha in us is, is that divinity that's always already awake and free, that is, that's deathless. And yet, when one gives oneself to that, I don't know if that language makes sense, but when you give yourself to that, to just the, the fact of your presence here, the miracle of your presence, there's something that happens in the course of our life. Something magic happens. Magic happens because we're somehow in sync with, a, with reality. So an idea of yourself cannot, um, cannot capture that, whatever that, that magic is that, that is the, the, the power of awareness, the power of, of awakening. There's something very, just being, just notice right now, just being in this room aware and awake. Just for a moment letting whatever your traumas, difficulties, let them be part of your life, but rest in the awareness that knows what you're feeling right now. Rest in the awareness that you know that you're sitting in this room. Rest in the awareness that is just open, that is just sitting in the middle of it all, that's just taking it all in, that's not trying to figure it out. If we just did a little bit more trusting awareness and a little less doing in our lives, we might be a little happier. I think all of this got inspired by, by I was sharing with somebody my favorite line from H.W. Alpunja. I know I probably do it every other week here. 
But he says you need the past and thoughts to suffer. You don't need anything to be free. So every time you just get lost in that vortex of memories or worries, from that vantage point of being lost, you think you need something to be happy. And then your, your mind is in a state of dissatisfaction. So you need, and so much of our suffering is, I want something that I don't have. And I don't want something that I do have. So you need the thoughts and you need the past and thoughts to suffer. You don't need anything to be free. So how many of you believe me? <laughs> so let's all just for a moment be free. Just for a moment experiment with the sense that you have everything you need regardless of your circumstances and that you don't have to figure it out. Does your mind, just the maniacal mind, come in and say, but, but? As one of my teachers used to say, no buts. <laughs> but? But is always of the past. But is of the past. You need the past and thoughts to suffer. You don't need anything to be free. And then my second favorite one about the, the vortex of trauma and memory, the Hafez passage where he says, what do people who are sad have in common? And I don't mean people who are sad because they've experienced a deep loss. Of course you'd be sad. This is about the sad of, of revolving again and again how many times do you repeat in your mind something that happened that was sad and then fall into a kind of, into a kind of um, rabbit hole? That's what this poem is for. It's called Stop Being So Religious. He says, what do people who are sad have in common? It seems they have all built a shrine to the past and often go there and do a strange wail and worship. What is the beginning of happiness? It's to stop being so religious like that. So what happens when you just tune in to your environment here? Tune in to your living experience and you don't consult your memory to define your life. Now I know the, the butt mind says, but you know, I remember my butt mind. <laughs> Somehow it doesn't sound right. But, but my butt mind kept saying, but he can't do can't do that. And that just went on and on and on. And I could just feel myself getting pulled in and and then I'd pop out. And I said there was a choice. And fortunately, the ocean just kept reminding 
There's a choice here. There's a choice here. It's not, and the choice to be present with this experience, it isn't bypassing or suppressing something. It's saying, yes, in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all of these old, these old conditions that keep coming into my mind, there's, right in the middle of it all, there's peace. There's at least a moment. There's a, there's a, gl a glimmer of light. And I'm going to follow that. I'm going to follow that. I'm going to give in to that. Because that is actually, in the long run, much more a reliable refuge than that story of the diminished me, the self-judging me, the insufficient me, the impoverished me. <clears throat> I'm going to try to my best to just stay where I am and not Oh, not um, as that poem, uh, that piece of Wild Things, not tax my life with forethought of grief. Just constant worry about what's to come, what's to come, what's to come, what happened, what's to come, what happened, what's to come. Give myself, whenever I can, the break of just simple, aware presence. from the Majamaka Nikaya, which is the middle-length sutras of the Buddha. Let not a person revive the past or on the future build his hopes, for the past has been left behind and the future has not yet been reached. Instead, with insight, let him see each presently arisen state. Let him know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Today the effort must be made. Tomorrow death may come. Who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep him and his hordes away. But one who dwells thus ardently Relentless by day, by night, it is he, the peaceful sage has said, who has one fortunate attachment. So as David left you with three things to practice last week, to pay attention, to be kind, and to let go, this is just part two. Pay attention, be kind, let go. And you've probably heard, if you let go a little from Ajahn Chah, if you let go a little into this living present, you'll have a little peace. And if you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. And if you let go completely, you will have complete peace and freedom. Your struggles with the world will come to an end. You may have struggles, but they won't be as many, there won't be as many imaginary ones.
So and if you think you can't do this, this is what Ajahn Brahm has to say. Can you make peace? Can you be kind? Can you be gentle? If you can, then you can meditate. So if you can do any of those things, you can meditate. And meditation is... It's, we need to do something to stop. We need to stop doing something, in other words. There is nothing to be gained, as Kala Rinpoche put it. Nothing to be gained, nothing to be found that is not here already. Truth is so simple. Buddhahood is so simple. The compassionate, altruistic heart is so simple, so self-evident. <coughs> Truth is here. Even in this very room, truth is you. The supreme silence, shunyata, is in you. You are the silence. You are the truth. You are the Buddha. It is here in this very moment, so simple and unaffected, so near, yet we make it so distant when it is so near, so remote when it is so immediate, so complicated when it's so simple. Do you know what it's like to be at the roadside with your motor car but to have lost the way? You are the Buddha. Then why do you not feel it? Why don't you know it? utterly, through and through, because there is a veil in the way which is attached to appearances, such as the belief that you are not the Buddha, that you are a separate individual, a self. If you cannot lift this veil at once, then it must be dissolved gradually. If you've seen through it totally just once, even one glimpse, then you can see through it all of the time. Wherever you are, whatever presents itself, however things seem to be, simply refer to that ever-present, inherent spaciousness, openness, and clarity. Again, Kalu Rinpoche, 1970. So let's just be the Buddha. And we'll sit quietly. Wherever you are, whatever presents itself, However things seem to be, simply refer to that ever-present, inherent spaciousness, openness, and clarity.
And from this immediate connection with the light of awareness, we can can put Javier in our thoughts and encourage him in his transit to remember the clear light, the clear light of his own nature, that it is deathless. And any visions that come into his mind in this transition, to be able to recognize that those visions are made of the same clear, bright, shining light of his own nature. And if he recognizes this, he'll be liberated even more. Remember the clear light. Remember the light. Be the light. Bright, shining white light of your own nature. It's free. And out of that light of our own Buddha nature, our own awareness, comes so much caring and compassion for Meshtild and Javier's niece and their whole, all their near and dear ones, Javier's patients. He was a dentist. All those who met him and loved him, may all of them be touched by the light of awareness and the love and compassion that flows from awareness. And the wish that everyone's heart be at ease, that everyone can recognize the sacred happiness that is free of sorrow here and now. And deep wish that all beings can grow in serenity, able to meet these joys and these sorrows without complicating things, without embellishing without compounding the suffering with much more equanimity and serenity. And may our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and awakening of all beings, including ourselves. May everyone awaken. May everyone grow in compassion and kindness. Dedication every day. Don't go down the rabbit hole. Stay aware. Don't go down the rabbit hole. Stay aware. Trust the awareness. Anyway, thank you. Hope to see you next week. Thanks for your generosity.